Shall we dive right into it? Yeah, let's do it. <clears throat> Michael. Yes. You seem sleepy. I'm so sleepy. Sleepier than normal. Because your baseline is to be sleepy. Yeah, I know. I know. Why are you so sleepy? I got back today from visiting my parents with Grunge Girl and the dog. Whoa. Yes. yes. Wow. How did that go? What was it like introducing oh. Grunge Girl to your parents after you had revealed Grunge Girl's transness to them? That part was totally fine. The part that was difficult was introducing them to the dog. Oh, I see. Do they not like dogs? No, they're into dogs, but, you know, our dog is a challenge. Mm-hmm. He seems like a challenge from the little that I've seen him. And he just wanted to destroy my dad. Wouldn't stop I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> he just really wanted to, you know. Tear him apart. Tear him I apart. get it. Totally, <laughs> totally. So, you know, relatable, but... Not good. Well, it was fun. He was very stoic. Your dad was. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've never actually seen a photo of your dad. So <laughs> in my mind's eye, he is like just a stereotypical, just like a giant Russian man. So I'm picturing like a Russian man the size of a bear being barked at by a dog the size of a mouse. Yeah. I mean, he's not the size of a bear. He's the size of a small bear. I mean, I'd say my dad's more of an otter. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's like an otter being barked at by a small mouse. Mm-hmm. That sounds really cute, actually. He was getting super aggressive, and it was just a big just distraction. And we kind of knew it was a possibility. He loved mm-hmm. everyone else in my family, but... He loved your mom and your brother? Yeah, yeah, but one out of five or one out of ten people, he just wants to fucking annihilate. Yeah, I relate to that as well. Yeah. At least one out of five. I felt like I was managing a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Managing a lot of emotions. Yeah, and even though I didn't have to really. So I'm glad to be home. I got half a dozen French crullers from Dunkin' Donuts. Wow, yummo. Yeah. I have my I have my Dunkin' with me right now. My boyfriend went out and got me Dunkin' just a second ago. Do you use Dunkin' as a verb? Runch Girl uses it as a verb sometimes. Can you give me an example in a sentence? Let's Dunkin'. No. Mm-mm. Not in this household. We do not have that usage. I'm trying to, yeah. That's all right. You compromise in relationships all the time. It's true. You really do. You really do. Do you have any fun compromises? Well, I think the biggest thing is that I make all of my boyfriend's food for the work week. And that, for convenience's sake, is also my food for the week. In a world of infinite easy food, I'm not sure that we would both eat the exact same meals every week. So if you were in a Garden of Eden situation, he'd be hanging out by the fig trees and you'd be hanging out by the blackberry bushes. Exactly. Although last week I made some um, souvlaki in the Instant Pot. What? You can make souvlaki in an Instant Pot? Yeah, and it came out really good. I'm going to make it again this week because it was such a big success. Is that like the rotating meat on a stick that they shave off? I don't know... Honestly, the internet says that souvlaki is basically just like Greek spiced meat on rice or veggies, which is like a pretty vague category of foods. Really, what it was is just like really delicious chicken and rice with a Greek flavor vibe to it and a bunch of lemon and um, tzatziki that I made. Wow. Wow. That sounds great. Yeah, it was really good. How are you, Hava? How am I, Chava? Um, Baruch Hashem, I'm well. It's been kind of a funny day because my boyfriend and I are preparing for the hurricane. 
this weekend. Oh, yeah, yeah. What's the deal? I heard there's a story about Hurricane. Here comes the story of Hurricane. The man the authorities came to play. I don't know how bad it's going to get here, but definitely in southern Rhode Island, it's supposed to hit, you know, like, I don't know. It's I will see either way better to prepare and not need it than the other way around. So right after this, we're going to the grocery store to do our grocery stuff. So that sort of puts a weird vibe on the day to be preparing for a hurricane. You know, still just really mystified about Delta. Still really not sure what I'm supposed to do, what any of us are supposed to do. I've gone into places now to, uh, you know, get things and I've worn a mask. And now the people behind the counters aren't even wearing masks. So Yeah, I I feel like it's really, it's like every place I go into is a completely different situation yeah and there's like no consistent messaging there's Mm -hmm. nothing there's nothing i feel like this is like this feels like a taste of the beginning of the slow collapse of uh institutionalized united states society i wonder if it's comparable to the slow diffusion of jews that happened after the destruction of the second temple oh yeah i was thinking the crumble of the soviet union yeah, although that was kind of, yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't know how sudden or not sudden that was. Yeah, right. It depends on what media you're consuming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd probably have to talk to actual Russians. Yeah, so that's a thing. But otherwise, I've been good, you know, just hanging out with my cat, studying Talmud. Benya and I are planning our fall-winter Shelma'ala class, which I think is going to be it's going to be our most ambitious class yet. So I'm really excited. That's good. That's to good. To teach it. So, you know. Things are good. Just keeping my head down, studying and teaching Talmud as best I can. That's great. Do you want to expose me to some Talmud right now? You know, I would love to do that. Okay, great. So I brought us a piece today from Brachot 54a. Brachot, as you crazy kids out there might recall, is the Masechet that is nominally about blessings. And in this case, our sugya actually is about blessings. Every time you read a sugyo that's actually about what the Masechet is supposed to be about, you have to take a shot. So if you're playing the Chai How Are You drinking game at home, you know, take a shot. I want to rebrand blessings. I've mentioned this before. We should rebrand blessings and just start calling them spells. Well, save it. Save it for once I've gotten this Talmud out on the table because we're, we'll be talking about that. All right, great. So we're on Bracho 54a. Our sugya starts out... Chayav adam lebarech al ha'ra'ah kashim shemevarech al hatova. One is obligated, the halachic subject is obligated, to bless concerning the bad, just as they bless concerning the good. Ooh. I have more to read, but let's just pause and start discussing there. Yeah, what do you think about that, first of all? I feel like it's related to what you said about spells, so tell me more what you mean about spells and maybe it'll tie in. Well, blessing sounds lame, and spells are cool. Okay. That's basically my whole argument, just... You don't have any theology to back it up. Well, a spell is something that you... Is a... A spell is kind of like a command that you Mm -hmm. give that accomplishes something in the world. Mm -hmm. So you use words or gestures in order to change something in the world around you. And uh, blessings are kind of like that. You think blessings are designed to create some kind of change? Oh, well, that's a good question. Why do you bless the wine? 
you make the wine somehow sanctified. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, right. it, it is changing the wine, and then you consume the sanctified wine or bread or food because it... Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's debate to be had there. I think that's... I don't want to say it's a non-Jewish understanding of blessings, but I associate that more so with like Christian blessings, like when you do communion, when you do the Eucharist, if you're in a Christian denomination that believes in transubstantiation, you believe that the Eucharist, the the bread and the wine is like literally transformed into the flesh and blood of Christ. And sometimes as a case in Judaism, but also sometimes it's just the case that a blessing sort of just creates the appropriate metaphysical circumstances for your consumption, you know? The theology being there that like whatever you're about to eat fundamentally belongs to Hashem. And so the blessing is sort of what gives the appropriate like exchange of gratitude for that resource that makes it metaphysically appropriate for you to consume it. Oh, okay. So it's like checking a bureaucratic box. Well, maybe one Kabbalistic understanding, it's more so that some amount of mystical energy is required to create anything. And when we bless, our blessing is like a wick that draws down more of that energy into the universe, into the plane of manifestation from the sort of transcendent plane. Okay. So if you consume an apple and you don't bless it, you're not replenishing the energy that it took to create that apple. And so mm-hmm. your blessing is intended to sort of fill the tank back up so that the physical plane where shit manifests has enough energy to make the next apple. But we have conservation of matter on the physical plane, too. Presumably all, like, the transformed bits of apple that you just ate are still just as magical, separate from the apple form as they were in the apple. For one, I don't think the Kabbalists were on the conservation of mass trip. I don't think they were, you know, committed to their philosophies obeying that law. I don't know. I mean, I guess if you think of the physical world as sort of a closed vessel Mm -hmm. and a little bit of energy leaks out, to the outside whenever we consume something and the only way to bring that stuff back in is through blessings right the mass is still conserved it's just a question of whether the mass or the spiritual energy is in the right place okay so you're saying we have a leaky physical plane <laughs> and instead of fixing the leak we we kind of siphon off more into the physical plane. If we know there's a leak, why aren't we all trying to get through that leak and exit this <laughs> physical plane and go someplace better? Well, the blessing is your opportunity. You know, this metaphor is really getting off the rails. Okay, so. okay, all right. But all in all, I think we've done a fair enough job of laying down some basic ways of thinking about blessings. So Great. I'm going to continue on with the rest of the text that I brought today. We read that we halachic subjects are obligated to bless on the bad, just as we're obligated to bless on the good. So now the Talmud brings a proof text for that from Torah. Which you may recognize some of you out there as being part of the Shema. It's part of the first paragraph of the Shema that many Jews say every day. It's the part that's, you know, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So the text says, With all your heart means with your two inclinations, your two sides or your two natures, with your good inclination and with your bad inclination. So you need to, you need to love God with both the good and evil side of yourself. 
Whoa, okay, okay. Uvechol nafshecha, afilu hu notel et nafshecha. With all your soul, meaning even if God takes your soul. So again, another instance, right, of the negative being an instance where we still need to love God. Uvechol meodecha, beho mamoncha. And with all your might means with all your money. Or you might also say with all your might means with every measure that he meets out to you, thank him. The way that last interpretation works with every measure that he meets out to you is sort of a pun. This word me'od, me'odecha, meaning your might, is very close to the word mida, measure, right? Me'od, mida, and then mode means to thank. So with every mida, he midas out to you. With every measure he measures out to you, you thank him. Okay, so a measure can be just an event, something that happens in your life. Right, whatever is meted out to you is how we might say it in English. Part of the proof here is they're interpreting loving God to be equivalent to blessings, reciting blessings. And these three categories make it so that we are required to bless sort of the totality of possible things that could happen to us, good or bad. Right, right, right. The last point seems to really be the proof for the original claim that we need to bless the good and the bad. Yeah, it's my favorite out of the three. And it's definitely bless the good that happens to you and bless the bad that happens to you, not sanctify good things that will happen and sanctify bad things that will happen. When I hear bless the good and the bad, it makes me think like a witch's coven, you know, blessing the bad things that will happen on someone. Oh, unlike a curse kind of situation. It's not saying Jews are witches. No, this is all in response to things rather than creating good or bad uh i i sometimes wish that jews could create things uh magical things uh magical things with spells i mean there's definitely there's plenty of that out there in the world yeah there is there is it's we've talked about spells on the pod before yeah 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 yeah. wow so that's very neat i feel like it's very it's very zend out Mm -hmm. very job it reminds me of job there's two things i want to bring supplementing this text and the first one is going to be a poem which I just think is one of my favorite poetic uses of this Jewish idea. This poem is called A Prayer for Transformation, and it's by Kalonymus ben Kalonymus, which some of you may have heard this poem before. Kalonymus ben Kalonymus was this Jewish philosopher and translator who was hanging out in France between 1286 and 1328. They wrote this poem that... I think a lot of queer Jews know already, but it uses this trope. So I'm going to read it now. And it's a little bit long, but I think it's worth it. Okay, go for it. Woe to him who has male sons. Upon them, a heavy yoke has been placed of restrictions and constraints, some in private, some in public, some to avoid the mere appearance of violation, and some entering the most secret places. Severe statutes and awesome commandments. 613. Who is the man who is capable of fulfilling them all to the letter? How will he escape, be he diligent or lazy? How will he not stumble? And even if he observed all these, he is not yet done with his list of duties. For the evil impulse is resourceful and scheming. If one cannot engross themselves in Torah study and analyze sharply interpretations of Torah, 
and Talmud. How badly was he stricken by the finger, and how much shame must he put up with, he who was minted in the coin die of men? His field is blighted, better who carries him than creates him. Oh, but had the artisan who made me created me instead a worthy woman. Today I would be wise and insightful. We would weave, my friends and I, and in the moonlight spin our yarn, and tell our stories to one another from dusk till midnight. We'd tell of the events of our day, silly things, matters of no consequence, but also I would grow very wise from the spinning, and I would say how lucky I am to know how to make linen, and how to comb wool and weave lace, to design cup-like buds, open flowers, cherubim, palm trees, and all sorts of other fine things, colorful embroideries, and furrow-like stitches. And oft-times, in the way of women, I would lie down on the kitchen floor between the hearth, among the pots, between furnace and stove, chopping wood, stirring the coals, and taste the different dishes. On holidays, I would put on my best jewelry, I would beat on the drum, and my clapping hands would ring. And when I was ready, and the time was right, an excellent youth would be my fortune. He would love me, place me on a pedestal, dress me in jewels of gold, earrings, bracelets, necklaces, and on the appointed day, in the season of joy when brides are wed, for seven days would the boy increase my delight and happiness. Were I hungry, he would feed me well-needed bread. Were I thirsty, he would quench me with light and dark wine. Father in heaven, who did miracles for our ancestors with fire and water, you transformed the fire of Ur-Kasdim so that it would not burn Avraham. You transformed Dina in the womb of her mother. You transformed the staff of Moshe to a snake before a million eyes, and you transformed Moshe's hand to a leprous white, and the sea of reeds to dry land, and the seafloor into solid dried up earth. You transformed the rock into water, hard flint to a mountain. Who would then transform me from a man to a woman? Were I only to have merited this, being so graced by goodness, I could have now been the lady of the house, exempt from military service. What shall I say? Why cry or be bitter? If my Father in heaven has decreed upon me and has maimed me with an immutable deformity, then I do not wish to remove it. The sorrow of the impossible is a human pain that nothing will cure and for which no comfort can be found. So I will bear and suffer until I die and wither in the ground. Since we have learned from our tradition that we bless both the good and the bitter, I will bless in a voice hushed and weak. Blessed are you, Hashem, who has not made me a woman. Boop. Uh... <laughs> Shit, man. Yeah, that's gay. Yeah, it's wicked gay. I mean, of course, everyone likes to say like, oh, you just don't understand. It's actually really complicated satire. No, no, it seems pretty straightforward to me. Just straight up gay. For those of you who don't know, there's a set of blessings that many Jews traditionally say in the morning. And one of those, if you are a man, you say sometimes this blessing, blessed are you, God, who has not made me a woman. In this poem, Colonymous Ben Colonymous is taking that blessing, which is conventionally understood to be about the good fortune of being born a man, which obviously is the best, and turning it into a blessing about the bad, which he views as his sort of inescapable existential plight of being born, quote, not a woman who wishes he could have been born a woman or transformed into one. A nice reversal. Classic men's rights move. Classic. (laughs) Yeah, so I love this poem. I don't feel like it really has any you know, anything to say about the theology of our sugya, but it just is a really excellent example of this idea of blessing the good and the bad playing out in art and being gay. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can see how this might upset some people. How so? I can see how someone could use this as justification for, like, not transitioning. Oh, like, you can see how someone would say, look, Colonymous Ben Colonymous accepted it. Yeah. So why can't you accept it? Right, right. Right. Even though Colonymous Ben Colonymous said, like, I will bear this existential horror and suffer until I wither in the ground. But it's fine. But it's fine. I'll just bless it. It's an interesting, like, uh, pivot. Instead of saying that, like, being trans is bad, all these thoughts are bad, it's like, no, no, no. The thoughts are good. And the fact that life sucks, that's all by design. Just, yeah, right. respect it. Respect the right. suck. We're all caught in this existential mousetrap on purpose. Yeah, we're all, you know, we're in the cage, despite our rage. Mm-hmm. Right. We're still just around the cage. The other thing I wanted to bring into this little adventure is an excerpt from the Uji Hatana Sutta, which is part of the Pali Canon, which is sort of the main scriptural body that constitutes the scriptures of most forms of Buddhism. This is just a quick little something called the Five Remembrances. The Buddha said, these are five facts that one should reflect on often, whether one is a woman or a man, lay or ordained. And I think they have bearing to our idea. So I'll just go ahead and get them out there. The five remembrances. I am subject to aging. I have not gone beyond aging. I am subject to illness. I have not gone beyond illness. I am subject to death. I have not gone beyond death. I will grow different and separate from all that is dear and appealing to me. I am the owner of my actions, heir to my actions, born of my actions, related through my actions, and have my actions as my arbitrator. Whatever I do, for good or for evil, to that I will fall heir. So this little text has been used in different forms of meditative practice, you know, in many different ways throughout the centuries. But just this idea of sort of contemplating the inevitability of these things that most of us would think of as suffering as being an important spiritual practice feels related to the idea of blessing the bad. Like in some way, blessing the bad and doing the five remembrances are sort of both revealing a hidden dimension of shitty stuff. Yeah, there's something there that's that seems to be missing from how most of us are told to be conducting ourselves in the world. Mm-hmm. Sort of any kind of acceptance is sort of antithetical to how most of us are enculturated in like American capitalist society. Sure. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're definitely taught to like submit to various systems, but like deep spiritual acceptance is not something that I think really is accounted for or promoted in any way in that system. It's interesting that the last section of the polycanon excerpt that you read has to do with the individual choice almost, Mm -hmm. which is not where I thought it would go. I mean, I think part of what the last part in my understanding is getting at is that you will become separate from all material things. Your only possession is your actions, aka your karma. Like that's what follows you through even as you, you know, lose your body lose your relationships as you like leave this lifetime your actions are still like what continue and that's why you know your actions are sort of your only true possession interesting okay this all uh reminds me of the beginning of the pod blessing the bad and and thinking about how we don't know what the hell's going on with delta and no one's really telling us what to do in a consistent Mm -hmm. way i think we might be doing a lot of blessing the bad in the coming years Mm -hmm. that's where i went with it i mean i think the five remembrances are trying to teach us we will always be doing a lot of blessing the bad and hopefully a lot of blessing the good and it's 
best to proactively get in the practice of that so that you're not figuring it out as you go. Yeah. Thank you, Hava, for helping us navigate our Kafka-esque slash Hunger Games life that we find ourselves all in. I do my darndest. I do my best. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Well, thanks for listening, dear listeners. We'll have a patron episode coming out later this week. Next week, we're going to start our new series with Sam Biagetti. Yep. Already uh, recorded the first epi with him. I'm excited to edit that for you guys. I think it's good. Y'all are great. You know, send us your questions on the hotline and the email and all that stuff. You know all about that. And we will talk to you soon. Shavua Tov. Shavua Tov. Shavua Tov.